0: The following sermon, entitled The Loving Discipline of Our Children, Part 2, number 6 in the series on Proverbs for Parenting, was preached on the evening of September twentieth, two 2020 at Hope Protestant Reformed Church of Redlands, California. For more information, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this evening to 1 Samuel, Chapter 2. 1 Samuel, Chapter 2, We'll begin reading at verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. We read this in connection with tonight's sermon on Proverbs 13, verse 24. 1 Samuel chapter 2 begins by talking about Eli. Eli is the priest at this time who, in the previous context, had the interaction with godly Hannah at the temple and Hannah's prayer for a child, a prayer that was answered in the birth of Samuel. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. This is the inspired and infallible Word of God. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came while the flesh was in seething, that is, boiling, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest for he will not have sod and boiled flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desirest, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee "...seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord." And they went unto their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived, and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the uh, women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding... They hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourself fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel my people." Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and, thy, and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now, saith the Lord, be it far from me. For them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house that there shall not be an old man in thy house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine, whom I shall not cut off from the altar, shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart. And all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age." And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, upon Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful servant that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that Everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. We end our Scripture reading at that point. It's a connection with 1 Samuel chapter 2 that we consider. Again, Proverbs 13, verse 24. text for tonight's sermon. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. This Lord's Day we're doing something a bit unusual, in that we're having two sermons on the same passage in the same day. This morning, we heard a sermon on discipline from Proverbs 13, verse 24. And now this evening, we come back to that for part two of this text. And the justification for doing this was that this is an important topic, one that we need instruction on as parents, and because there are so many different things that need to be said, that we didn't want to leave any of the important things out for the sake of time. But now, perhaps for some of us, when we saw in the bulletin that there would be two sermons on parenting, and when it was explained this morning that that would indeed be the case, perhaps some of us were quite disappointed. Really, two sermons in which the primary application is all about parenting? What about me who am not a parent? Well, I could be sympathetic toward that. but Now, if I may justify this approach a little bit more, it's important to recognize that my task as a preacher is to be able to say at the end of my ministry what Paul said to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20 that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That is, whatever the Bible has to teach, And whatever truths it set forth, they all need to be preached in turn. The point being that while we may emphasize some truths on another Sunday, we'll come to stuff that's more applicable to those who are not parents on other weeks. And really, it's all important, regardless of whether there's direct application for us as individuals tonight or not. Because even though the main application has to do with parenting, There are still important truths, theological truths that are embedded into the sermon that we all need to be reminded of. Furthermore, for those of us who are not parents, no doubt many of us still desire to be parents. And I think of the single members of the church and the the young children. We don't have children right now, but the Lord willing, one day we will. And we do not wait until we have children to start. Preparing from a spiritual point of view for that day, but we need instruction already now. The same way that as parents, we don't wait until our children are teenagers before we begin instructing them about the importance of marrying in the Lord. The same way that we don't wait for a trial to come in our lives before we put in place a theology regarding suffering. We need to be prepared ahead of time for those days that come. And that includes the matter of parenting so even if we're not parents tonight there's still important preparation for the day lord willing we will become parents but then there are also those whose years of disciplining their children are largely behind them the older parents the empty nesters nesters the the grandparents for those who are in that boat the importance of this passage is A reminder that our parents are often the ones who can give guidance and direction when it comes to this important task. The grandparents of our children are the ones who see us as parents raising our children and who can see that there's a bad habit being developed there and who can carefully, wisely give a word of instruction pointing out you don't want to go down that road of letting that child talk back to you that way. Saying no to your face without ever disciplining that child. So there's an important place even for the older parents and for the grandparents and even great-grandparents who are present here this evening. And so we return again to Proverbs 13, verse 24. This morning we looked at this passage by considering the main concept, the truth of discipline. And we looked at that a little bit more generally. We focused really on three words this morning. The word chastening, the word rod, and the word betimes, and almost made a point out of each one of those words. But now we come back to this passage and look at what this particular passage emphasizes and highlights regarding discipline. Namely, that it's to be done as an act of love. Proverbs 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod, hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth, that his disciplines him betimes love stands out in this passage. But at the same time, you notice that the reverse is also true. Because not only does it say the one who loves disciplines, it also says the one who hates spares the rod. And So this evening, we need to look at Both of those things as really two different sides of the one in the same coin. On the one side, we have hatred and sparing the rod. And on the other side of the coin, we have the love, the love that disciplines. So this evening, let's consider Proverbs 13, verse 24, under the same theme as this morning, the loving discipline of our children. This is part two of this passage. And tonight we have two points. First, the hatred of sparing, that is sparing the rod. And second, the love of disciplining. Let's begin by looking at the hatred of withholding or sparing. This passage starts out with a startling statement. He that spareth his rod hateth his son." quite a strong statement. Now, we need to understand what is being taught here. To spare the rod is to withhold it. To refrain from disciplining our children, even when they sin, to hold back the correction that we're called to give them as parents. Now, we need to see that we spare the rod any time that we allow our children to go on blatantly sinning, that we turn a blind eye to that sin, that we ignore that sin and allow them to continue. Whether that's because we simply don't feel like it, or whether that's because we're buried in our phone or in the TV. It's sparing the rotten. But we're also guilty of this when we see our children sin, and all we do is Glare at them. Or tell them no, but then don't follow up that no when they persist in their sinful way. We're guilty of sparing the rod. Anytime we resort simply to raising our voices, screaming at our children, supposing that if we use enough decimals, that'll finally get through to them. We also spare the rod in the times that we do perhaps administer some pain, but fail to instruct, fail to teach our children what they have done wrong when that spanking is given in isolation from the tenderness and the, the teaching that's supposed to follow. All of these ways are ways in which we might spare The rod. Now, admittedly, this is a temptation for us. A temptation for us who are parents. And maybe the temptation is because we hate to inflict any level of pain on our children. We do not like to see tears in their eyes and thus we suppose that it's more tender, it's more loving to withhold the rod. Proverbs acknowledges this temptation in Proverbs 19 verse 18. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. We're tempted to spare for his crying. We don't like to see our children cry and therefore we think, well, I'll I'll ease up a little bit. I, I won't do it this time. There's a temptation. Maybe that's a temptation for some, but I think the greater temptation for more of us is to spare the rod for the sake of our own desire, peace, and ease. For as we said this morning, discipline is an event. It's a process. It's often inconvenient. inconvenient. It often Requires that we set aside what we're doing to, to take the time to go and properly discipline that child. Taking the time to include that instruction that must also be given. And if you're like me, you do not always feel like doing that. I do not feel like getting up to walk my daughter to the other room when I've just sat down for a good meal. I've no desire to press pause on A time of fellowship with other members of the church in order to bring my daughter aside to discipline her, to use the rod, and to teach her what she has done wrong. But you see, when that's the reason for sparing the rod at bottom, that means the reason for sparing the rod is I'm interested in my own ease, my own peace, my own desire. I I want what's easiest for me. And that's really... Sparing the rod for that reason is sparing the rod because I love myself more than I love my daughter. But any time we do that, this proverb tells us that really that's hatred for our children. Proverbs 13, verse 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. And really we could read the proverb this way. One who spares the rod is one who hates his Son. And hate is a very, very strong word because hate refers to more than simply a passionate dislike of something. Hatred is more than a strong aversion, but hatred means that ultimately one is intent on the destruction of another. That's the biblical idea of hatred, or at least a part of it. And that's really why the proverb puts it this way, because when we're sparing the, the rod, we're doing that which tends toward the destruction of our children. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we're tempted to think, isn't that a bit strong? Pastor Cordes, are you sure that Solomon isn't perhaps exaggerating here a little bit here? Maybe he's just trying to get a, a point across. Maybe he's using hyperbole when he says it's hatred to spare the rod. But that's not the case. It is indeed hatred exactly because we are omitting a duty that is so necessary for the spiritual well-being of our children. What we're doing is we're winking at the indulgence of sinful desires and the development of sinful habits. So that in a way, what we're doing is basically handing our children over to the enemy. It's hatred to spare the rod. And now, admittedly, that's easy enough to state, to to make the assertion, it's hatred to spare the rod. But now what we need to do is dig a little deeper and explain exactly why this is true. And for guidance in explaining why it's hatred to spare the rod, we turn to the rest of the book of Proverbs and look specifically at three different Proverbs, all of which shed light upon this passage. In the first place, we look at Proverbs 22, verse 15. Proverbs 22, verse 15, which tells us, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Why is it hatred to spare the rod? Because foolishness is bound up in the hearts of our children. And now, admittedly, maybe we tend to lose sight of that when a baby is first born, when a young daughter of the congregation is brought forward at the time of baptism. We tend to view that child as so sweet and so innocent. But it does not take all that long before the truthfulness of this proverb begins to come out in the hearts and the lives of our children. We come to see... It's true. There's foolishness in their hearts. That is, there's a part of them that's committed to, that's inclined toward folly. Foolishness is characterizes a part of who they are. This proverb tells us that that foolishness is bound up in them. It's tied. The the literal idea is that of tying a knot. It's, It's clinging to them. So that the result is what we read in Genesis 8 verse 21, that the imaginations of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Now of all that's, all that is true because we along with our children are all the sons of Adam. For when Adam fell into sin, a part of his punishment was that his nature became corrupt. And that corrupt nature has now been passed on to all of his descendants so that we all have a certain resemblance toward Adam, so that just as our own physical children look like us from a certain point of view, that perhaps they have our our eyes or they have our personality, whatever it may be, all of us share in that corrupt and sinful nature of our first father, Adam, so that... David said what he did in Psalm 51, that we are conceived and born in sin. Now because all that's true, it's hatred to spare the rod. Because when we withhold that rod of correction, what we're doing is we're allowing that foolishness not only to sit there undisturbed, but really we're giving that foolishness an opportunity to grow. For that uh, that foolishness to to develop to become bigger and stronger more entrenched, it's foolishness. It's hatred to spare the rod. Therefore, that first of all, second, it's hatred to spare the rod because what we're doing is we're leaving our children to themselves. That's the teaching of Proverbs twenty nine verse fifteen. The second proverb we look at, Proverbs twenty nine verse fifteen. "...the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame." And now in reading this verse, I'm less interested in the the end, the, the bringing the mother to shame, and more interested in the implication that when we fail to use the rod and the reproof, what we're doing is leaving a child to himself. And those words left to himself in the original... Are very, is a very graphic term. Really, in the original Hebrew, it paints a picture for us, that idea of being left to oneself. And the picture is that of an untethered donkey or horse. If you leave uh, such an animal outside of a pen without any reins attached to some pole or to some tree, that animal is going to wander. It's going to go down different paths, wandering astray. The Bible itself gives an example of this. Children, do you remember how Saul had to go and try to find his father's donkeys? How he, he went around the, the hillsides in the countryside for a couple of days looking for these don, donkeys that had been untethered, that had been left to themselves. Well, when we withhold the rod, when we spare the rod, what we're doing is leaving our children to themselves. We're leaving them unrestrained to wander about down whatever paths they might be inclined to be. We're we're allowing them to follow whatever whims arise in their heart. Specifically, we're leaving themselves to wander in the paths of foolishness. Because as we just said, Foolishness is bound up in their hearts, and that means when we, we just let them run loose, they're going to go right for those paths of folly, which is to say, they're going to walk down the road of unbelief. Because as Proverbs 14, sorry, Psalm 14 verse 1 teaches us, "The fool says in his heart, "There is no God." And when we spare the rod, when we withhold the rod, we're leaving our children to themselves. We're allowing them to go down that very path. And For that reason, it's hatred to spare the rod. And that's especially clear from the third proverb we want to consider that explains why this is true. Proverbs 23, verse, verses 13 and 14. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die, but thou shalt shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. This proverb links the proper use of the rod with delivering a child's soul from hell. Now, obviously, that cannot mean that it's the rod itself that saves, and we'll have more to say about that later on. But nevertheless, it's making a point. God uses the rod as a means in His own hand to accomplish His purpose in saving our children. And when we spare the rod, we're allowing our children not just to wander in the paths of folly, ultimately, what we're doing is allowing them to go down the path that leads to destruction. So that when we spare the rod, rather than delivering them from hell, really, what we're doing is we're delivering them unto hell. Or we're giving them a pat on the back, sending them down that road. And thus, it's hatred to spare the rod. That's taken together with these passages set before us is a very, very strong warning. Against withholding the discipline that our children stand in need of, but now if these proverbs were not were not enough to convince us of that, scripture also provides us a biblical example, an illustration of one who spared the rod, and that biblical example is Eli that's the reason we read the passage that we did in first Samuel chapter two, Eli with his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. First Samuel 2, verse 12 and following tell us of the great wickedness of these sons of the sins that they were committing. Verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were the sons of Bilial. They knew not the Lord. And what follows is an explanation of why that was true. And what we read is that these two men who were put into the office of priest along with their father, These men abused their office so that they were taking portions of the sacrifices that were reserved for the Lord and taking them to themselves. And furthermore, they were asking for some of the meat raw, and you'll remember that they were not supposed to do that. They were supposed to always have it cooked. They were not allowed to eat the blood of the sacrifices. And furthermore, they were taking the fat, that portion that was reserved to the Lord. And anyone... And any time anyone tried to say, no, don't do that. Please offer the fat. They would say, well, we'll take it by force. They would threaten the people who would try to stop them in their sins. And furthermore, the sin of Hophni and Phinehas was that they would even sleep with women. Right there at the, temp- the tabernacle itself. That's verse 22 of the second half. 1 Samuel 22, verse 22. 1 Samuel 2, verse 22. And how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And now in spite of all these sins, Eli failed to properly discipline his sons. And his failure was not because he didn't know about it, because he was unaware of it. Because verse 22 tells us plainly that Eli heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, Eli was well aware of the sins of his children. Now Eli did, at least, tell them to stop. We read of that in verses twenty-three and twenty-four. And he, Eli, said unto them, Hophni and Phinehas, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, no, don't do it, my sons. For it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. So he told them to stop. But Eli himself stopped there. Because he did not make use of the rod. And that's clear from what we read in chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13 is a message from God to Samuel concerning His sons. And there we read in chapter 3, verse 13, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Eli spared the rod. And because of that, judgment would come upon him and his household. The judgment that would come upon the two sons is that they would die, both of them, one day in battle. Chapter 2, verse 34. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hothna and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And the judgment that would come upon Eli is that he would no longer have sons who would be priests. Ordinarily, the office of priest was passed from father to son, and then from those sons to grandsons, but God would cut that off. He would sever that passing down of the office of priest so that Eli would no longer have sons who would serve the Lord as priest on account of Eli's own failure to discipline his children. And now this example of Eli is very instructive for us. Because on the one hand, it underscores the point that proper discipline includes the administration of pain. It includes the use of the rod. Eli told them to stop. He told them to cut it out. But that's all he did, reminding us what of a point that we have already made. That it's not sufficient to tell our children no, but that we must make use of the rod to correct them. But more importantly, what the example of Eli teaches us is the truth of this proverb. Of the spiritually ruinous consequences of sparing the rod. Because notice what 1 Samuel 2, verse 12 said concerning those sons of Eli, that they knew not the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas were unbelievers. They were born with foolishness bound up in their hearts. And that foolishness was allowed to continue undisturbed. That foolishness was allowed to progress so that these sons went down the path of folly and reached the conclusion of the fool which says, there is no God. And thus judgment came upon them, underscoring the truth, that it's hatred to spare the rod. But now before we move on from this first point, we must address potential misunderstandings and misapplications of this proverb. And I believe there are especially two. First, there must also be tonight a word of encouragement for the discouraged parent. Because no doubt, for many of us hearing this sermon, it brings to light our own shortcomings as parents. Today as parents, we've been led to see that I'm not always faithful in this calling. There are times that I've spared the rod or there are times that I've failed to include the instruction that needs to accompany the rod. And maybe as we hear tonight's sermon about the fact that it's hatred to do so, we're we're becoming worked up. We're seeing our sins and we're focusing only on our sins and we're beginning to wonder, have I ruined my children? Is it hopeless because of all those times that I've withheld discipline when I should have disciplined? Now for any of us who feel that in our hearts, there's a word of encouragement and that's first of all, Praise God for when He exposes our failures. It's part of the purpose of the preaching is to show us where we have gone wrong, to show us where we have sinned in our calling as parents. And now our first impulse is not, well, I gotta do better from here on out. But the first impulse is run to the cross take these sins that have been laid to bear today through these sermons and bring them to the feet of Jesus Christ and say, I have sinned. I have not disciplined my children the way I am supposed to. Father, forgive me. And there is forgiveness. This sin too is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And only after we've tasted of God's forgiving grace, we then ask Him for His enabling, for His transforming grace to enable us, to empower us as parents to be faithful in this important work. So there's encouragement that this sin too is forgiven and that there's the grace that we need to Instruct our children the way we are supposed to. But the encouragement for the discouraged parent tonight is also this. That ultimately, it's not up to us. For this is the Lord's work. The truth of Zechariah 6, verse 4, that it's not by your might, it's not by your might, but by My Spirit saith the Lord of hosts. That truth applies to parenting as well. As we said this morning, our children ultimately belong to our Lord. They're His covenant children and He will see to it that they are instructed and brought up in the faith. And it pleases our Lord to make use of weak and sinful means to carry out His own purposes. Meaning that our shortcomings, while they are indeed shortcomings... Nevertheless, are not going to prevent God's sovereign work. Our trust is not in our own ability to be consistent always in disciplining our children, but our trust and confidence is in God's own promise to save not only us, but also our children to establish his covenant in the line of generations. A word of encouragement for us who see our shortcomings tonight. But now secondly, with regard to misunderstandings and misapplications, there's also a needed word of rebuke for the abusive parent. For any parent who takes this passage, which underscores the importance of using the rod, and twists this word of God as an excuse and as a justification to physically abuse his children. Yes, the rod is God's own prescribed instrument for disciplining our children. But that rod is oh so dangerous when it falls into the wrong hands, when it's used for the wrong purposes, if our purpose in disciplining our children is to stir up and create fear in their hearts so that they, they, they have a dread terror when they look upon us, so that they quiver in fear when any time we brandish our hand or brandish any other object, if that's our purpose in disciplining our children, then we're abusing them physically. And the word of rebuke to any parent who is guilty of that is the word of Matthew 18, verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in Me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Certainly do not spare the rod. But nor may we fall into the opposite extreme of using the rod to beat and to abuse our children. That's a misapplication of this passage if we turn to this passage to justify such behavior. For ultimately, we're to discipline our children in love. In love. That's how we are to go about this. That's the teaching of of this passage. It's the love of discipline that's set forth here. For we read in the second half of the proverb, He that loveth him, chasteneth him, betimes. Now I believe there are three main senses in which that is true. Those three main senses make up the, the whole of this second point. It's love to discipline our children in the sense that our discipline... that love is the source and motive of our discipline. Second, love dictates the goal and the purpose of our discipline. And third, love should characterize our discipline. That is, we're to discipline in a loving manner. So let's go through each of those in turn. First, our discipline has its source in love. That is, discipline is to arise out of love. It's exactly because we love our children that we therefore discipline them. Love is the motive for disciplining our children. And we do love our children. They are dear to us. For they are the precious jewels given to us for a time to care for. They are olive plants, full of strength and beauty, full of hope and promise, sweet. We love our children because we view them as those who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the truth that we witnessed this morning in the sacrament of baptism. Baptism applied to an infant, saying that Christ died for them too. We love them therefore. We love them because they're the object of our Savior's love, of our Heavenly Father's love. And thus, as those who love our children, we want what's best for them. We seek their highest good. We actively strive to perform that which is good for their souls, which is to say we seek their salvation. And now in light of everything that we've said thus far about the importance of the rod, that means because I love my child, therefore I am now going to discipline them. Because of all those things, that we saw in those Proverbs. We read three different Proverbs emphasizing the negative component, but now look back at each one of them and see the positive aspect of them. Proverbs 22, verse 15. We read it first because of the matter of foolishness being bound up in the heart, but now notice the second half. But the rod of correction shall drive it, that foolishness, far from them. And as a parent who loves my child, I don't want that foolishness to to remain there undisturbed. And therefore, I'm going to use the rod, because it's God's own instrument to drive away that foolishness. Further incentive is found in chapter twenty nine, verse fifteen. Chapter twenty nine, verse fifteen. We use this first to see how left to our left to themselves, our our children are going to wander, they're going to go astray, but notice the first half now, the rod and reproof, give wisdom, they give wisdom, and now remember what book we're in, a book that from beginning to end emphasizes the importance of wisdom, It's in the book of Proverbs that we have those passages that talk about wisdom being more valuable than gold, yea, much fine gold. Wisdom is precious. And now Proverbs 29 verse 15 tells us that the rod and the reproof give wisdom and therefore as a parent who loves my children. I'm going to make use of the rod and the reproof. And then also, Look once again at Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. What other motivation is there for parents? than delivering our children from hell. You see, it's because we love them and we want that foolishness to be driven away. We want them to have wisdom. We want their souls to be delivered from hell. That we therefore discipline them as God would have us to do. And now I'm looking at these Proverbs and seeing the positive that comes out of discipline, notice that there's further encouragement for us as parents tonight. Further encouragement because these Proverbs are so many promises to us. Promises of what God Himself says He will do. How He will use the rod to accomplish His own saving purposes. Promises that can be summarized with the words of Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a promise from God Himself. A promise that's meant to spur us on and give us encouragement tonight as parents in this important work. So we discipline our children out of love for them. That is, love is the source, the motive for our discipline. Now secondly, love also dictates the goal, the end, the purpose of our discipline. And that loving goal is to bring our children to Jesus Christ. In other words, the goal of discipline is to have our children confess their sins and place their trust in Jesus Christ. And to help us understand that, I believe it's how this works, I believe it's helpful to compare the rod, the administration of pain in discipline, to the use and to the function of the law in our salvation. The law does not save. Neither does the rod save our children. And therefore, as we make use of the rod, we must never expect of our children perfection. Our primary goal in making use of the rod is not first and foremost obedience. And if we set that as the goal, what we're doing is really we're setting ourselves up for failure but we also run the risk of leaving the impression with our children that it's up to you and to your obedience. It's up to you to earn your salvation. And we must not leave that impression. The rod itself does not save. Instead, the rod... Its purpose is to drive, to lead our children to Jesus Christ, even as the law of our God exposes our sins and points us to Jesus Christ. The rod of reproof, the rod of correction, is intended to show the wrongness of sin. It's intended to show the the painful consequences that come from sin. And therefore, what the rod of reproof is doing is pointing our children to Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate end and purpose of using the rod of correction. When we discipline our children, it's to help our children see the need that they have for Jesus Christ so that they too cry out for Him. Now it's the fact that the rod has this goal and this purpose that really explains those Proverbs that we've gone through a number of times and all of those remarkable statements and promises. Because those promises said, those Proverbs said that the rod drives away foolishness. Gives wisdom. And delivers a child's soul from hell. But, and if we, we scratched our heads then and wondered how can that be that the rod is doing that? Well now here we have our explanation. It's not the rod itself but the fact that the rod is used as an instrument to bring our children to Jesus Christ. For it's Jesus Christ in Him alone who drives away foolishness from the hearts of our children. Jesus Christ is the one who gives unto them wisdom as the one who is Himself wisdom. And it's Jesus Christ who delivers the souls of our children from hell. Now, the fact that this is the goal, the loving goal and end of discipline, has implications for the instruction that we give to our children when we discipline them. Because as we said this morning, discipline, at least in the biblical sense of the word, contains two different elements. The the administration of pain, but also instruction, teaching. And this morning we, we... Gave some guidance as to what that instruction should include with regard to spelling out their sin, making it very, very clear to them. But tonight, in part two, we come to the main part of that instruction. The main part of instruction that we give to our children when we discipline them must be to show them Jesus Christ. And that includes having them say sorry. Parents, make them say those words. I am sorry for my sin. But then the moment they utter those words, immediately shower them in the good news of the Gospel. Point them to Jesus Christ. Set before them His saving work. Tell them the story of Jesus who died for us. And teach that child. He died for you too, my son. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that must be at the very heart of our instruction, the very focal point of it. Because the loving goal of discipline is to bring our children to Jesus. And we most readily achieve this goal when we discipline in a loving manner. In a loving manner. Proverbs 13, verse 24 tells us that he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. This passage underscores the love aspect of discipline. That love is to be the source of our discipline. That love dictates the goal of our discipline. And now third and finally... That love is to characterize how we go about disciplining our children. We're to discipline them in a loving manner. And now that certainly precludes things we've warned against. It precludes disciplining our children in anger or frustration. Precludes discipline, letting our discipline devolve into abuse. It also includes things that we've set forth positively. The fact that we're to discipline in a loving manner means we're to do so with a calm demeanor, with self-control, and so on. But now, most importantly, the thing we want to emphasize here is that we discipline in a loving manner when we conclude our discipline by communicating to them the good news of the Gospel. We said the goal is to point them to Jesus Christ, and now we follow that up by, tell, by pointing out that this is how we end by telling them your sins are forgiven. Parents, we need to hear those words, don't we? We need to hear those words again and again and again for our own sins. Well, the same thing holds true for our children. After we've administered pain, some of the most important words, the most important words that they need to hear is, My son, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this sin against you anymore. I'm not going to let this sin stand in the way of my relationship to you as a child, as I am your parent. Communicate the message of the Gospel. And not just with the words that we speak, but with the whole of our disposition. Physically, you communicated their sin. By using the rod now physically communicate their forgiveness. Hug them. Hold them. Touch them now, not for pain, but for gentleness. Wrap them in your arms and let them feel your love for them. Because remember, they're children and most often, those nonverbal indicators of our love are going to communicate in a far more deep, in a far more profound manner than the words that we say. We discipline our children in a loving manner when we conclude by communicating to them the forgiveness that they have in Jesus Christ. And we do all of this as those who ourselves are partakers of that forgiveness. You see, it's only when we ourselves as parents have tasted the joy of forgiveness that we will be ready and eager to discipline our children as an act of love. May God grant us the grace to do so. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, impress upon our souls tonight the joy and the wonder of forgiveness. And as those who have tasted that forgiveness in Jesus Christ, Make us ready and eager to extend that forgiveness to others who have wronged us. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.